When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Wherever you're tuned in on the SEN network, of course, right here on 1170 AM in Sydney via the SEN app. It's Monday, November the 20th. What a day to be a sporting nation. What a day to be your sporting station. So this morning, we want to celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's call it best ever, best win that you've seen. And perhaps let's confess Did you see it coming? We'll do all of that this morning. David Warner has tweeted exactly that. He says, well, did you see that happening? We did. Come on, Australia. 0-2 and written off. And then posted some thumbs up and some great photos of Australia with the trophy this morning. So we are the World Cup champions, beating India by six wickets, silencing more than 92,000 fans who were there at the stadium. And, of course, a billion cricket crazy Indians around the world and stunning cricket yet again this year. Here's how it finished for Australia this morning. Two for victory for Australia. Glenn Maxwell to see his first ball. Siraj bowls to him. Maxwell clobbers a ball out to square leg. A dive on the boundary to save it. They'll come back for a second and Australia has won the World Cup. A sixth championship victory and surely none greater than this. In the most partisan, intimidating environment that this tournament has ever seen, Australia has quashed all of India in one night. It's victory by six wickets. It's led by Travis Head. And the players have stormed the ground and they stand alone. Pat Cummins, it's a crowning moment in this calendar year. They add the World Cup to the World Test Championship. Plenty of crowning moments this year, Pat Cummins, and we'll go through all of those. But beating India in India in the World Cup final, a team that was unbeaten up until that stage. And the way that they did it, where they did it, and how they did it, has to rank it as one of our greatest, if not the greatest, win that we've seen. Is it our greatest year? You'd argue that as well. What I saw was a win for the professionalism of the Australian squad. Not just the Australian side, but the Australian squad across the entirety of the World Cup. Their fielding, especially at the back end, was superb. First class professionalism on display. Their intent in the South Africa match and the way that they spoke about that intent was delivered in spades especially in the field. If defence in rugby league is an attitude, fielding in cricket is the attitude that shows the way. And that's exactly what Australia did. They did their homework. The spinners and seamers were better at daytime. They struggled at night. They did their homework. All teams, all nations do their homework. But Australia looked as though they stayed up later. Looked as though they spent more time with their heads in the computers and in the books and going through the stuff that matters, the 1%. They played to the conditions. The slow deck suited India. Australia made it suit them. 
the 92,000 that were there suited India. Australia shut it out. They played to those conditions. The bravery was extraordinary. Now, this is sport, but you still got to be brave in sport, especially on this stage. Pat Cummins bowling first last night, that was brave. Brad Haddon on the Fox Sports coverage was shocked straight away. A lot of people were. It was a brave call, and it wasn't just the first one that Paddy Cummins made. And then there's patience. You think about the patience throughout the tournament. Go back to David Warner. We were 0-2, and we were written off. They got off to a shaky start, and it was shaky along the way as well, but they were patient. They were patient with Travis Head. They could have replaced him, but they knew how important he was. He sat around in Adelaide and recuperated, and they didn't replace him because as soon as they did, he could not play a part in the World Cup. They were patient with Marnus Labuschagne. Marnus or Marcus? Marnus or Marcus? They went Marnus almost every single time. They were patient with Josh Inglis over Alex Carey. They were patient with Cameron Green. Just sit down, young fella. Your time will come. Tournament play. They lost the first two. They had some dramas, some big dramas along the way. With injuries, Glenn Maxwell falls off the back of a golf cart. I mean, who would have seen that coming? Mitchell Marsh had to return home after the passing of his grandfather. And they knew that this was a tournament. This is the kind of stuff that comes throughout a World Cup. And with that comes momentum. And they played their momentum beautifully. Plus, never write us off. You wonder what they had written on the wall inside the dressing room or the team room, wherever they were as they crisscrossed the country. Never write us off. Were they written off earlier this year? Absolutely. Were they written off earlier this tournament? 100%. And here they are at the end. You put all that together, and I reckon you're looking at probably the greatest win the Australian cricket team has put together in a World Cup. We'll go through all the numbers in a second. I'll take you through the statistics of how it played out. And I want you to have your call this morning. We're going to open up the lines to you. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is that open line number. So pick up the phone and celebrate with me. Call it with me. And confess, if you need to, with me. Did you write them off early? Did you think they made the right moves? Were you second-guessing Paddy Cummins like he was second-guessing the pitchers earlier on in this tournament? Let me know this morning. I'm going to open up the lines to you this morning. It is your call. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. We've got a fair bit to get through. I'll take your call any time, but especially coming up after the 9.30 news, it's all yours. Open slather. Go for your life. In rugby union, big drama overnight. Hamish McLennan ousted as Rugby Australia's chairman, former Wallabies, Centre Daniel Herbert is the new man in charge. I'll take you through how that all played out. In Rugby League, Michael Maguire in the news, Benji Marshall, Jerome Luai in the news, Matty Moylan in the news as well. In Formula One, the post-mortem of the Vegas show begins. Great race, but what about the place? Max Verstappen wasn't too happy about it, but he was happy to take the victory. And it was a pretty good race in the end. I sat and watched the entirety of it under lights, very cold over there in Las Vegas, a very different style of show, but it's one that Formula One had to have. And amongst all that, we'll do the Monday sports scoreboard as well. NFL going on, NBA going on. We've got 
basketball to recap with Chris Pongrass, the Sydney Kings CEO. Tennis, of course, with Brett Phillips, host of the first serve. Tom Decent from the Sydney Morning Herald. Nine newspapers will have all of the latest on what's happening with Rugby Australia. You just wonder how much further it has got to bottom out and whether or not they've made the right move here. So Australia win their sixth World Cup with that six-wicket win. Here are the numbers. India all out for 240. Rahul, 66. Kohli, 54. Rohit Sharma, 47. Early days, it was one heck of a worry. Stark ended up with three for 55. Pat Cummins, two for 34. Josh Hazelwood, two for 60. Remember what I said to you in the last match? Those three collected eight wickets. Those three last night, seven wickets. Glenn Maxwell with one, Adam Zampa with one for 44. Then Australia come out and it got shaky. At one stage, they were three for 47 until Travis Head and Manus Labashain got together. Travis Head, 137 off 120 balls, 15 fours, four sixes. Manus there again, 58 not out, played the rear gunner role beautifully off 110 balls. Warner went for seven, Marsh went for 15, and Steve Smith went for four. Could have reviewed it along the way. So that makes the 2023 World Cup sit alongside the 1987, 99, 2003, 2007, 2015. That's six wins in eight finals appearances. Perspective around that? The next best, West Indies and India, have won twice each. Six wins from eight finals four clear of the next best. Australia have now won five of the last seven World Cups and in 2023 they've won the World Test Championship final, retained the Ashes with all of that drama and now hold the World Cup. Travis Head, player of the match in the World Test Championship final, player of the match in the World Cup final, scored centuries in both and becomes the first player to do so. Their 192-run partnership, Head and Labuschagne, is the second highest in men's ODI World Cup finals behind a record that's unlikely to be broken. You maybe think of Ricky Ponting and Damian Martin when they put 234 unbroken against India back in 03. And India have become something of the perennial runners-up on the world stage. They've not won a World Cup since 2011, They've never beaten Australia in a World Cup final. And since winning the Champions Trophy in 2013, they've been runners-up in the T20 World Cup in 2014, in the Champions Trophy, in the World Test Championship final twice, and now the ODI World Cup. So runners-up, runners-up, runners-up everywhere. Robert Crash Craddock says this is our best World Cup win. He says the victory over England in 87 was special because it was so unexpected. Wins in South Africa in 03 and West Indies in 07 stood out because they were undefeated. England 1999 had a mighty late surge and in 2015 Australia sparkles eternally because it was at home. But this was surely the greatest win, he said. It wasn't one thing, it was everything. Pat Cummins' bravery at the toss, the fielding, Head's brilliance, the clever slow balls on the slow pitch, Cummins' bowling and bowling changes, Marnus's magic, the pitch, the crowd, planning, poise and exceptional bravery. It had everything. Well said, Crash Craddock. Let me know your thoughts on that. one three hundred oh one eleven seven zero one 1170 is the open line number or 0457 736 
736 is the text line. So the States have won the battle for power in Rugby Union, kicking out Hamish McLennan as chairman of Rugby Australia. Late last night, Hamish McLennan told a journalist, will the RA board stand up to a few states? The answer was no. Queensland, ACT, Western Australia, Tasmania, South Australia and Northern Territory came together to demand McLennan's resignation late uh, last night, which is when they got it. Well, they didn't get his resignation as chairman. He was sacked as chairman and then resigned completely from Rugby Australia. So let's think about that for just a second. New South Wales did a deal where all of their high performance would come under the centralisation of Rugby Australia last week and the other states didn't want, to be, didn't want a part of it, didn't want a part of what Hamish McLennan was proposing. They're still saying that they're backing, that they're backing uh, the centralisation system, but you've got Northern Territory, South Australia, Tasmania, Western Australia. There's four states outside of Queensland and the ACT, four states that have come together to remove the chairman here. Now, with the calls that Hamish McLennan has made since he was chair elected in May 2020, then there's obvious points to raise. However, he did secure the 2027 Men's Rugby World Cup and Women's Rugby World Cup after that. But he also sacked Dave Rennie in January and appointed Eddie Jones. He also signed Joseph Suali'i on $4.8 million, deal, uh, $4.8 million worth of a deal when they've got no money failed to secure private equity funding. The code is $90 million in debt. They've got a plan to get out of it, but now that plan's going to rest with Daniel Herbert, who is the new chair, and Phil Waugh, of course, who is the CEO. What's next for Rugby Australia? Let me know your thoughts on that one. Tom Decent will take us all the way through that. And Formula One, the Las Vegas Street Race, so was it a winner or not? Max Verstappen claims his 18th win of the season. That's 53 career wins. Puts him alongside Sebastian Vettel. Charles Leclerc was just amazing last night or yesterday afternoon in the Ferrari and got second place in the end. Sergio Perez could have had it, but he was overtaken on the last lap. Oscar Piastri finished in the points in 10th and also got a point for the fastest lap at the back end of the race. And Daniel Ricciardo, their car struggled in the cooler conditions. You go back to the first practice session with the manhole cover incident with Carlos Sainz, which was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. And it was, at that stage, a debacle. The biggest debacle was when they held practice after that at 2 a.m. and kicked the crowds out at 1.30 because of a whole heap of regulatory reasons. But in the end, the racing was superb last night. Now, manhole cover incidents are not specific to Formula One. They're a fact of racing on street circuits, and that's part of the whole thing. They should have got it right, but they didn't, and it could have been a lot worse. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes to try and figure out whether or not this was a, a raging success, a roaring success. I reckon the race was. Everything else that went around it, I'm not sure about that, but we weren't there. So it'll be really interesting to hear from those people that were there that got around Vegas, that saw it or didn't see it, those that were kicked out at 1.30 in the morning after paying all of that money were understandably absolutely peeved and have also put together some sort of class action, I understand. But, hey, that's America. Litigate your life away. The Sphere played a massive part in it, which is 
something I predicted. Under lights was spectacular. But having a race and all those practice um, scenarios going on, so either late at night or in the practice case early in the morning or late in the morning, is that really going to give you penetration into the U.S. market? Well, they've had their shot, and I think it was a pretty good one overall. So we'll hear from the major players after that. But if you watched it yesterday, let me know your thoughts on one three hundred oh one eleven seventy or oh four five seven seven three six seven three six is our text line number. It's your call this morning, folks. Let me know what you think about Australia's World Cup win. Like I said, it's a great day to be a sporting nation. Even better to be your sporting station right here on SEN eleven seventy AM in Sydney. Text from Carmel from Rose Bay says, Maddie, I've taken the morning off to catch up on sleep. The morning off work, that is. Problem is, I'm so excited listening to your broadcast, I can't fall asleep again. <laughs> what a day. I'm ashamed to admit I didn't think we had a chance. But like you said, the professionalism of our side was outstanding. It's a monumental win. How great is cricket? Thank you, Carmel. Hope you do get some sleep today. And it is. It's exciting. It's been an exciting weekend of sport, an exciting competition the World Cup and the way that Australia has manufactured it, I think, will be a story that will come out in in years to come. I think we'll start to hear little bits and pieces about how they fought against that adversity, how they decided to uh, ramp it up, up their game as the competition or as the tournament got deeper and deeper and also what their plans were because they looked like a team with a plan for all situations. They weren't probably the greatest side going through to the final. I mean, India were unbeaten and were on the charge. I did worry that India may have played their grand final a little bit earlier. And then after about four overs last night, I thought, what a stupid statement that was. (laughs) India are on the charge here. They're going to get 400 the way they're going. But Australia stuck to their guns. And that's what experience will do. And that's what class will do at the end plus some good old-fashioned leadership along the way. And let's not forget, too, Andrew McDonald's role in all of this. He's the quiet achiever, I reckon, in Australian cricket at the moment. He's overseen that World Test Championship final. He's overseen the dramas and the retaining of the Ashes. He's overseen the ODI World Cup final or victory. So he's been there alongside Pat Cummins throughout this. NRL this morning, what do you make of this? Uh, David Riccio reporting there are elements of the New Zealand Rugby League board pushing back against Michael Maguire having both jobs, New Zealand and New South Wales Blues coach. Now, obviously, state of origin yet to be rubber stamped, but have a listen to what Dave Riccio told the Brecky boys this morning. The Kiwi old boys are of the highest of influence on the New Zealand Rugby League board. They take, They seek counsel on many occasions there are sections of those old boys that believe that Michael Maguire cannot do both jobs, and that is to coach New South Wales and also New Zealand. They believe the New South Wales origin coaching job is a conduit to the Australian uh, team. Largely, a lot of Australian uh, players played for New South Wales, and then therefore Badge would, would be ultimately helping develop potential Australian players when he is the New Zealand coach. Okay, so there's the conundrum. That's that's the conundrum this morning or the conundrum that's facing New Zealand Rugby League. The old boys part is the worrying part because 
old boys always think they know better. But the New South Wales coaching job as a progression into an Australian jumper and what that means then for the international scene is probably a valid question to ask. But that's the conundrum they've got to face. I wonder if they've got a better option than Michael Maguire, whether or not he's coaching New South Wales or what. Have they got a better option than the man that's just done what he's done with them? In the old boys club or wherever else, they'll throw out all the regular names, but have they got a better option than somebody of Michael Maguire? And how do they know if they don't give it a shot? It's a worry if Madge doesn't end up coaching New Zealand because they've got a few concerns here or there. I'm not sure how that one's going to play out. Not sure at all. Let me know your thoughts on that. Meanwhile, those uh, reports about Benji Marshall doing the old house call to Jerome Luai a fortnight after he hit the open market, I love it. Absolutely love it. What else are you going to do? If you're Benji, you turn on up. And <laughs> you wonder, I mean, he should have had a boombox. Should he not? He should have just turned up, got some music pumping, waited out the front door, just hit it and said, Jerome, come on out. And just whatever you do, don't trip over that checkbook. <laughs> we don't want you to hurt yourself. Everything's there. I love it. Well done, Benji. Let's see how that one plays out. 0457 736 736 is the text line. So what we're going to do, we're going to go to the news. And after the news, we'll hear from all the main players last night. Let's have a bit of an open forum, a discussion around this Cricket World Cup. Let's make it your call. Do you want to have a bit of a confession session? You can hear if you wish. Were you writing the Aussies off? Did you see it happening like David Warner has posed the question on social media this morning? Do you want to call it as the best ever or do you think that something else you've seen along the way in terms of our World Cup wins? Or do you want to just celebrate? I'll open the lines to you straight after the news. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Pick up the call. Uh, pick up the phone. Give me a call this morning. Let's go to the newsroom. Just a clarification from the news there. Rugby Australia has a new chairman. So Hamish McLennan's been shown the door. Daniel Herbert has already been uh, installed as the new chairman. So Dan Herbert played 67 tests for Australia, was a Rugby World Cup winner, of course, back in 1999. I think he was a test player of the year um, that well. He won the majority that year as well. He won the majority of the votes late last night and ends the tenure of Hamish McLennan, which started back in May 2020 and has been a roller coaster ride ever since. So there's a new chair there, a different chairman, and the question now is what happens next? The states got their way with their votes last night. Um, they were the ones that called this extraordinary meeting. They put the pressure on early, and I think the vote was called at about 8 o'clock uh, last night. Hamish McLennan said on the way in, will the Rugby Australia board stand up to a few states? And the answer was no. In the end, no. And now they've got a, a different man in charge. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is the open line number. Let's go to it now. This is your call. You can have your say on last night's Cricket World Cup final victory by Australia over India. George in Mulgoa is on the line. G'day, George. G'day, Maddie. Thanks for taking the uh, taking the call. I stayed up last night, um, mate. Honestly, I I was I must admit as a confession, I thought thirty uh, percent chance of winning. You had the Indian uh, hundred plus thousand in the in the stadium and the whole 
1.4 billion people uh, cheering for him. And, uh, mate, I, I just thought, no way. But, and there's also another confession, I reckon Australia won because they won the toss. That was at, from 30% at another 50% on top of the uh, uh, that yeah. they won and uh, and at another 20% Cummins' decisions and he's the way he played the game and how they fielded. So, um, yeah, I was, I was so impressed, I must admit. Yeah. No, 100%. And I've got another texter um, who's mentioned the toss as well. We won the toss. We're already ahead of the game. Um, fabulous performance. But, y- yeah, absolutely, George. You, you've, you've hit it on the head. I mean, winning the toss was crucial. But then deciding, electing to field was a big call off the back of that. And, and they went on with it too. They, they went through with it. So playing that – if you go back, George, it's really interesting. If you go back to early days in this competition in the World Cup – You'll hear Pat Cummins talk about the the two natures of of the pitches. He was he was being second guessed, or he was second guessing himself about what was out there, and it was a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. And it was really interesting to hear a, a captain admit that. Whereas last night they kind of knew exactly what they wanted to do, and once the toss fell their way, then that's the way they went. Still a brave call against India. And, you know, still a brave call to try yeah. and chase down a total in a World Cup final. But, yeah. Oh, a couple of good confessions there, mate. You feel a little bit better after those this morning? <laughs> I do. I do, yeah. Much better now. <laughs> Thanks for good the counselling. Good on you, mate. No, no. <laughs> no, thank you for the counselling. Thanks, George. Good on you. Let's go to you, James. <laughs> James is on the line. Always up for a chat. G'day, James. There you go, Matty. Um... When you get someone from the Cricket Australia team, from the team on, can you ask them, what did they do in training that was so different from the start to near the end of the tournament? Because they're fielding in the first two. They couldn't even catch a cold. Or even the Delhi Valley at the start. They were hopeless in the field. But then the last two games, I mean, everyone said the semi-final, they saved, you know, the, the ring, Lavishay and Warner, and that, they saved 30, 40 runs, which is more like 80 because it's 40 we don't have to make. But they just stopped everything that was on there. Anything, hardly anything was going past them. And whoever, you know, fixed up their fielding, I think that's what really won it because you stop them scoring runs, then they start to take the more risks. And then they're getting, I saw the bit up to after three wickets. And I went to bed at four o'clock, I had to get up. But they, um, they weren't coley and they, they weren't getting through like they usually did. And the other thing, I got up this morning. 4.30 or so, get in the car, go to work, listen who won the cricket, and all I listened to was NFL. Can't we have something, you know, we just won the World Cup cricket, can't we, like, kill that American sport for at least one day? <laughs> I'll speak rare. to the people who make the decisions, <laughs> mate. I'll, I'll speak to that, but their, their contractual commitments. Yeah. Um, thank you, James. I appreciate it. You raise a very good point about the fielding, and this is something that really caught my eye. What do they do differently? Well, you're talking about professional cricketers here. You're talking about people who are, I mean, there's multiple players in there who are now dual World Cup winners. So we're not talking about under 15s here and having to go out and in the middle of a tournament say, this is how you pick up a ball and this is how you throw it in. You're talking about something different, in my opinion, which is intent. And they decided, especially in that semi final against South Africa, they decided for whatever reason, to lift that intent right off the charts. And you could see it, you could hear it, 
you, you saw it in their body language and the way that they were attacking every single ball. So that's attitude and that's intent. And throughout the course of the last couple of weeks in particular, when we've been hearing the media calls from the players, a couple of little phrases have jumped out and I've said to you, hey guys, have a listen to that. Have a listen to what they're talking about there. And one of them was intent. So to me, what did they change in terms of training? Probably nothing. They would have probably done exactly the same kind of routines. High balls, short balls, ground fielding, the lot. They would have done everything. But what I reckon they did do was say, okay, if we're going to stop these guys from getting that extra 30 or 40, especially the way that India have been playing recently, we're going to have to dive at everything. We're going to have to work as a pack and we're going to have to show intent like we've never shown before. I'd be guessing that that's what's changed. It's not to say they didn't have the intent earlier, but they just decided to lift it. And they shut the door by doing that. And you're right. You know, 30 or 40 here, it's kind of like paying tax, isn't it? you still got to make almost double that to try and arrest it. So in my opinion, what did they do? This is the part. I'd love to see the mindset shift that they did along the way and how much of a role in particular Andrew McDonald played in that one. 0457 736 736 is the text line number or you can give me a call this morning, 1300 01 1170. So back to that one from Aaron says, um, no one's talking about our biggest trump card, the toss. We won the toss already ahead of the game. Don't get me wrong, it was a fabulous team performance and execution was top notch, but batting first and winning would have been a far greater victory under the circumstances. Head was outstanding and needs to be the poster boy of the summer without distractions of retirements. It's pleasing Smith and Warner go out as champions. Time for new blood. Your thoughts on that one? Well, let's deal with that when it comes at us. Because it's back on again, isn't it? I think it's later on this week. Is it not Friday they start playing? Um, The T20s? I mean, you reckon... Aaron says, have a Bex and a lie down. You reckon they, they're going to need a Bex and a lie down after that one? Yes, the trump card was the toss. You've still got to back it up with the right call, and then you've got to back it up, especially when Rahul at the top of the order was doing what he did and what he's been doing. Rather, Sharma, I meant to say, 47 off 31 balls, but they went through with it. They knew that eventually he'd sky one, and then Travis Head takes an absolute screamer, a match turner, to remove him. So all of that stuff doesn't happen just because of the toss. It happens after the toss. Five match T20 series coming up starts Friday morning our time. <laughs> what is it, Monday Monday morning already? If you saw heads around the uh, Australian camp, I reckon. While we're here, why don't we have a listen to the player of the match? This is Travis Head on his innings, that incredible century that earned him player of the match, not only in this one, but makes it back-to-back in World Test or World Championships, ICC World Championships. So this is the World Cup, and then, of course, the WTC finally was player of the match as well. Here's Travis Head. What an amazing day. So, um, yeah, just, just thrilled to be a part of it. You came into the World Cup not fully fit, but the team management, everyone wanted you in the squad for a reason and we all know now the reason for it yeah it's a lot better than sitting on the couch at home so um yeah very lucky that everything went well and i was able to get back here and the support that the boys showed and um yeah i didn't think this was gonna happen so um or not contribute in the way i played in the first sort of 20 balls 
Um, yeah, I was a little bit nervous, but um, yeah, Marnus played exceptional. It was awesome to bat with him. He soaked up all the pressure, and um, yeah, it was a, just an amazing partnership. It was a great decision, obviously, to bowl first when we win the toss, and um, I felt like the wicket um, got better as the day went on. It took a little bit of spin, but um, yeah, all the reasons why we did what we did at the toss all, all paid dividends. So um, yeah, nice to be part of it. Nice to play a role in that, and um, yeah, what's going to be an amazing couple of days now. <laughs> it sure is. Going to have to uh, think about it quickly, though, because those T20s will come around very, very soon. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number at 17 minutes to 10 o'clock. On the text line, the mystery man says, all these people saying they gave the Aussies no chance need to be deported. Was perfectly set up for an ambush, and the Aussies always turn up in the big matches. Yeah, the boys... I'd agree with that, mate. Uh, not the first part, but the second part, they always turn up in the big matches and they, they built perfectly for it. And there was a feeling, something of a, a feeling about a bit of an ambush there. Let's let all the pressure go back to India on this one. And regardless of how many they'd won into the final, which was every match, they were always going to be the team under the most pressure. Let's do an NFL update. You can catch every NFL game this season with Game Pass only on DAZN, visit nflgamepass.com. So we've had a whole stack of matches, games this morning completed week 11. Browns defeated the Steelers by three points. Dolphins had a win over the Raiders. Lions had a win over the Chicago Bears. Jaguars over Titans. Packers v. Chargers was a close one. Packers by three. The Texans beat the Cardinals. Cowboys 33-10 over the Panthers. The Giants had a win over the Commanders. The 49ers currently underway against the Buccaneers, and it's 20 points to seven in the third quarter. In the second quarter between Bills and Jets, the Bills lead that one 16-0. And at halftime, the Seahawks have a lead over the Rams, 13 points to seven. Later on today, Broncos v. Vikings, and tomorrow at around about midday, the Chiefs will have the Eagles. So that one... Thanks to NFL Game Pass NBA. Let's see what's going on there. Uh, just the two matches underway at the moment. So we've got the Raptors and Pistons on court in the third quarter. Raptors 104-72. And the Magic lead the Pacers 44-23. That's the start of the second quarter there. Uh, and then, of course, a whole stack of other games to go. Earlier today, 76ers had a win over the Nets. So 121-99. To 99. Thanks to NBA 2K24. It's out now. See you on the court. So we'll continue to follow those scores for you this morning and we'll continue to hear from the major players last night. Plus your thoughts about Formula One. Did you see that intro? The the all singing, all dancing intro um, that was so very Vegas and also very, very embarrassing <laughs> in the end. Everyone keeps talking about the toss. Uh, Rowett said he was going to bat. It was a non-toss. Love your work, Matty. Cheers, Clint from Narrabeen. Thank you, Clint. Yes, got a couple of those, and I did hear that throughout the course of the night as well. Uh, the Alabama Eel says, spare a thought for those Indian commentators who had to sit with Matty Hayden in the commentary box throughout the game. <laughs> Mate, he was on fire, wasn't he? Absolutely charging. He's a big fella too. So you would have known that he was sitting there... He's loud and he's huge and he's one thing about Matty Hayden is he, he talks with his hands as well and everything goes up and he's he's a big, big boy. Two things, Matty, says the Pearl. Again, I don't think the toss was important. They would have batted. And secondly, it's weird to say, but why was there only 
officially 92,000 at the final. That's like 55,000 being at the grand final. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. That was the official number. I mean, it holds 132,000. So it was 92,453. And I think by the time Australia won, won it was 453. Um, because I think most of them had all bailed out by that stage. But I, I'm not sure why the number was lower than the capacity. If anyone knows, let me know. Perhaps the capacity was reduced for some reason or another. I, I don't know. I didn't pay any attention till I saw the crowd there, the crowd figure this morning. But you're right, it's a little bit lower than um, what you'd think. If winning the toss is so important in cricket, then surely this act of God to begin matches needs to be changed. No, 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 no. I like the way that it's like it is. Um, th- it just adds another, you know, piece of uncertainty into the game, does it not? It adds the the element of luck, of chance, into the game. And luck and chance have to be part of sport, don't they? I don't think you'd want to take that out. You know, we get random barrier draws for horse races. I mean, motorsport in particular is one of the weird ones. It determines who's fastest on the grid and then puts them in front. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, it's it's like saying, okay, Usain Bolt's Usain Bolt's quicker. Why don't we put him? I mean, it also works in other sports, you know, lane four and swimming and all that kind of stuff. But you see what I mean? I, I'd be happy if there was a little bit more of the element of luck or chance into it. I'm glad, says Eels Mars, they've chopped the rotten head off the Rugby Australia fish. Gives them a chance for some positive changes. Be great if they looked at a national club comp. Well, the national comp has been there before. The question is, Eels Mars, where are they going to get the money? That's part of the problem. They have to rebuild before they decide to spend anything on anything. 0457 736 736, the sight screens. That's what I thought. Reduces capacity, says one of our listeners. Thanks for that. Back after this, six and a half minutes to ten. Our man crime scene on the text line says, I concede my act of God point, Matty. No dramas. Um, no worries. Thank you for that. There's a bit of confessions and conceding going on this morning. How did Greg's tip go? Probably still running. Yeah. Um, look, the Snake Gallic Cup was won by Superazzi. Bellistic Kids was second and Cinquatori was third, which is what uh, Chris Nelson decided to go on each way. So Chrissy Nelson was one up and Rocket Tiger, which was Greg from Gundy's tip, came fourth. So we've now officially ruled Greg from Gundy out of the tipping in any way, shape or form of the morning show. You're done for now. You're parked for the rest of the year. We'll just give you a little bit of a holding pattern until 2024 and see what you can come back with. But we still want you to be part of the show, Greg from Gundy, so let me know what your plans are. one 1170 is the open line. Tom Decent will join me from the Sydney Morning Herald, so we'll get to the bottom of what's happening at board level at Rugby Australia and more of your thoughts, of course, on the cricket win last night by Australia. Very good morning to our listeners joining us on SENQ 693 in Brizzy on this Monday morning where I've made it clear it's a great day to be a sporting nation and a great day to be your sporting station because we get to talk about all the good stuff this morning, especially in the world of cricket. 
I can get my head and excuse the pun around exactly what happened last night and the way that Australia has built throughout this tournament. Still a huge victory to beat India in India, but it's a win for the professionalism of the Australian squad. It's a win for never saying, write us off. Never write us off. That must have been one of the mottos for the Australian team. A win for their tournament play and their patience, the bravery and captaincy of Pat Cummins. A win for doing their homework and a win for their intent, especially in the field. So when whatever way you look at it, the performance last night was pretty easy to piece together once you put it into perspective of what this Australian team have been doing. And they deservedly, rightfully finish at the moment with a, a, a season up until this point, a year up until this point that has just been an absolute standout. They have ridden the roller coaster of world cricket and popped out on the right side of it every single time. Still trying to get my head around what's happening at Rugby Australia. So the chairman, Hamish McLennan, has been shown the door, sacked after an extraordinary meeting last night and has resigned completely from the Rugby Australia board. So in comes Daniel Herbert, who will take over as chairman. And you think that Dan Herbert will do a stellar job, just like he did representing Australia in his professional career after that. 67 test matches for Daniel Herbert. So they've shuffled the chairs around at board level. And we'll have Phil War as CEO now continuing and Dan Herbert as the chairman. Hamish McLennan secured the World Cup for Australia in 2027 and 29 for the women's, appointed Eddie Jones, of course, sacked Dave Rennie along the way. Joseph Suali'i was signed on a mega money deal, couldn't get the private equity funding across the line, so now they're going down the debt path recovery and trying to make it all up when they get the British and Irish Lions Tour into the World Cups, into the 2032 Brisbane Olympics. So the future down the road is still open up if Rugby Australia can take it. The question is, have they made the right move here off the back of the States calling for Hamish McLennan's head? Queensland, ACT, WA, Tasmania, South Australia and Northern Territory demanded his resignation. He said no, they took a vote and he was ousted. And that's the bottom line of all of that. Tom Decent from the Sydney Morning Herald has been across this story, of course, uh, from the word go. And we'll have a chat with him and see what happens next in this. I mean, every time we think that it's the bottom of the barrel for Rugby Australia, there seems to be another drama. I don't know what the next one is. So hopefully the only way is up. And I'm still digesting Formula One in Las Vegas. So if you had or have any thoughts about this, why don't you let me know this morning. A good race, a really good race, a big show, a really big show, some dramas along the way some big dramas, and the jury's kind of out as to what what impact this is really going to make. It's going to be there for a long time. So to open the batting like that was pretty impressive. Max Verstappen won the race. He had a five-second penalty along the way, but his pace and his class at the end held off Charles Leclerc, who was absolutely brilliant, especially on the last lap pass that he put on Sergio Perez. My old mate Lee Diffie tweeted this morning, the event was a spectacle like we've never seen. This is one of the most respected voices in motorsport in the world. He says, I feel for the fans who got dudded on day one, and I'd also like the crowd, allegedly 315,000 uh, K, uh, 315,000, I would like the crowd counter as my new account. 
overall, though, thumbs up. So that's kind of a good take on where the sporting world and motorsporting world sits after Formula One's adventure into Las Vegas. It was all big show, big dance, big lights, big, 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 big. The race, however, stood up to it, which was pretty interesting. And there were a lot of lead changes as well, which was also cool to see. Oscar Piastri had a good effort out there, got caught up in the end in terms of some tyre wear and all that kind of stuff. He finished 10th and set the fastest lap. He looked really good and had him shaking their heads at his kind of Australian way of racing. Let me know your thoughts on that, 0457 736 736 or 1300 01 1170 is the open line. So let's find out what's happening in the world of rugby union. It's never a dull day. Tom Decent from the Sydney Morning Herald 9 newspapers is on the line. G'day, Tom. Hi, Matt. How are you, mate? Good, thanks, mate. So, look, Hamish McLennan goes into that meeting and said to some journalists along the way, will the Rugby Australia board stand up to a few states? The answer was no. So, in a nutshell, they they showed him the door and it was down to the votes, am I right, of Queensland, ACT, WA, Tasmania, South Australia and Northern Territory? Yeah, effectively. But, I mean, ultimately, the, the Rugby Australia board meeting last night, that was Rugby Australia board members who made that call on whether Hamish McLennan should stay on or not as chairman. Um, Hamish has said that it was a mixed vote, but my understanding is that it was pretty clear-cut that most people in that room, if not all, thought that he should resign and stand aside. He was asked whether he would still be a director, and he politely declined and has exited stage left. And that sort of caps a pretty tumultuous period in Australian rugby, which just um, is extraordinary. Mm. So where does it leave, I mean, we, we can talk about Daniel Herbert coming in, but where does it leave now Rugby Australia without somebody like Hamish McLennan with all his faults, um, but all his positive sides as well, and, and the fact that he's, I guess he's a little bit outside of the Wallabies Boys Club, if you like, um, where does that leave, do you think, the state of the Rugby Australia board? Yeah, it's a great question. Look, Dan Herbert is coming on in interim capacity, sort of where that is long-term, whether or not he wants to do that long-term hasn't been ascertained. He'll speak to the media later this afternoon to sort of front a few questions on that front. But yeah, sure, there's definitely... Um, Hamish has had his fingers in different pies um, on a variety of different things, broadcast, commercial, that, look, it will be a step back and, and there'll be people at RA who'll have to um, take the reins from here. But I, I think the code is just craving for a bit of consistency and stability and I clearly the rugby show board felt, thought that without Hamish there they would be able to achieve that in some way shape or form clearly centralization has been spoken about as a, a hurdle and a stumbling block but I think it's important to note that in Dan Herbert's statement last night he spoke about the states who you know said that they had no confidence in Hamish McLennan were fundamentally on board with centralization and trying to get everyone aligned um, in terms of getting these high performance structures sorted but yeah like it's um look the benefit is that there's no rugby for a few months. They can flesh this out over the off-season and try and get things a little bit um, humming and in better condition by the time Super Rugby starts next year. So what was the clincher then, Tom, do you reckon, for Hamish's demise? Because if centralisation is an issue that they're all going to eventually get on board with, we let's take that off the table as the clincher. The Eddie Jones experiment, we know how that ended. I, I raised my eyebrows when I heard Phil War last week talk about the fact that we don't need, we can't be out there in the rugby league market, for instance, doing any more Joseph Suolihi deals. 
And I thought that that was really smart and great clarity from Phil War. But then I went, hang on a second, that pits you directly against the bloke who wants to go out and make some noise. Was that part of the clincher for Hamish? I think definitely. I think people just thought he was making too many captain's calls and that it was his way or the highway. Now, a chairman's sort of supposed to sit on top of a board and they all vote on that, but clearly there was things being pushed through that weren't being... Um, there was, wasn't a lot of board sort of discussion around that. You know, clearly hiring of Eddie Jones was effectively Hamish McClendon's call and that backfired spectacularly. Now, he will argue you could never have foreseen that. Eddie's World Cup record was fantastic. Who could have foreseen that he was secretly interviewing with Japan? I get all that, but clearly ultimately the buck stops with the guy who made that call. Eddie Jones has quit and Hamish McClendon's now fallen on his sword. Yes, Joseph Suwali'i. Clearly, that was um, pushed through by Hamish. I know Andy Marinos, the former CEO, wasn't you know on board with that, and clearly a lot of board members didn't think the same thing. Um, yeah, that would probably be the main to it. And clearly, uh, there was a lot of posturing from Hamish and very bullish about his statements and double downing on things, saying, "I you know I think I would hire Eddie again," or words to that effect that it wasn't the wrong call. I, I just think that. Uh, the rugby stakeholders felt that a change was necessary for the game to move forward in this country. Yeah, and they've got some clean air, like you say. There's no rugby on for a bit, so they've got some clear air to sort out all of the stuff that's in front of them, which is an enormous job for Phil and now Daniel Herbert. So we know Dan Herbert's playing career, 67 test matches, um, incredible year in 1999, which when Australia run, won the World Cup and he was World Test Player of the Year. And then he moves into the corporate side of things as well. So what type of chairman do you reckon Dan Herbert could be and what type of chairman does Rugby Australia need? That's a great question. I think someone on the same page as the CEO. Now, Phil War was effectively picked by Hamish McLennan. They were very tight. Phil War was on the board when... Um, Hamish McLennan was chairman and was promoted to CEO, which is sort of a bit of an odd appointment anyway for a board member to be appointed to the CEO. Clearly, there needs to be alignment with the CEO and chairman. Um, there's been times where Hamish McLennan has said things in the media and maybe the CEO didn't know about it or they weren't sort of on the same page. So I think that ultimately, Phil War and whoever is chairman long-term, if it's Dan Herbert or someone else, need to be aligned on that. And... Um, yeah, they just need stability, and 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 this is the time for it. The, the game is at absolute rock bottom in this country, and I think the game's leaders, and I think the game's stakeholders, the states, the fans, everyone is is at the realization now that everyone needs to pull together. The centralization probably is the answer to things because if not now, then then when. The New South Wales deal to um, go under the banner of Rugby Australia with the centralization for the high performance part of of everything that they do. Does does that remain on foot here, especially knowing, like you've said, with um, the other states saying that they will be committed to centralisation? Has anything changed with the New South Wales side of things? Not to my knowledge. I mean, it's clearly pretty raw. I haven't spoken to CEO Paul Dawn today, but my understanding is that will be the case. I know the Melbourne Rebels are very close to sort of um, pulling off a pretty similar sort of deal in terms of coming under the RA umbrella, but... I think the biggest sticking points will be with the Brumbies and Queensland um, at this stage. Okay. All right. Where are we at with the Wallabies, coach, mate? <laughs> yeah, look, it seems like a, you would think that is the only thing, you know, that are <laughs> on Arrow's mind, but it could be one of 10 things on their mind at the moment. Um, look, clearly behind the scenes, some of those coaches, Stephen Larkin, Dan McKellar, are possible candidates. They're sort of 
quietly working out who assistants might be if they were to apply for the role. But I think Phil War has gone on record to say that they don't need to rush that appointment. The Wallabies won't play a test until July. Um, and that's okay. Look, yeah, I'm, and I'm not too sure Hamish McLennan was also part of that process and the rugby committee would start interviewing people and working out who would be a potential replacement for Eddie Jones. But, um, yeah, that's another problem they'll have to fix. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been across it, mate. I appreciate all the input today. Like you say, it's all still very raw, and we'll hear from Daniel Herbert in due course. Thanks for your time this morning, Tom. No worries. Thanks, Matt. Rugby Australia with uh, more more newsmaking. Um, Hamish McLennan gone as chairman. Tom Deason from the Sydney Morning Herald with all of the details there. So we'll watch this space on that one. 0457 736 736. Um, Maddie, I know it's a uh, Greg from Gundy Free Zone at the moment, but I'd like to make this character assessment toward him, says Peach. He's actually a punting genius, deflecting the listener's money away from the odds on favourites so he gets a better price. Imperatries was never going to get beat, but he got even money as for the Gully Cup winner. More fool us, possibly. You're, ask, you, you're saying that there could be something devious going on. Maddie, I'll take over from Greg. For horse tips, I just got to get a new dartboard, <laughs> says the pearl. On behalf of fellow New Zealanders, says Finn, congratulations, Australia. Not just winning, but the way they won and built towards it. I'm sure the 12th and 13th men, Warney and Roy, would have the biggest smiles. I'm proud to support the Aussies. Well done. Good on you, Finn. Thank you for that. That's a really cool text, mate. A good one. Matty, I was going to text in, um, but I'm just too tired, <laughs> says Western Sydney Eagle. What a game. That's all he got. Just what a game. That's all you need, mate. Uh, Max from the Gong asked the question that I put to Tom there. What about New South Wales at rugby? Will they rescind their alliance with Rugby Australia with the resignation of Hamish McLennan? Well, Hamish was voted off as chair and resigned uh, or altogether completely after that from the board. But it appears as though Rugby New South Wales will stay exactly where they are and what they've committed to. And it sounds as though the rest are committed to that as well. And perhaps that's exactly what rugby needs, as Tom points out, that, that open, clear space or that clear space where they're not in the headlines. They, they made it so much of a priority to get out there and get in front of the news cycle and make rugby relevant in terms of a talking point out there. And it worked. That part of it worked. But there was nothing behind it. So... Perhaps now the opportunity to back away from all that might be just what they needed. Had the World Cup changed or had the World Cup ended differently, then they wouldn't have been in this position. Absolutely. But now they find themselves having to bunker down and we'll have to hear what Daniel Herbert has got to say. Keep your thoughts coming. It's a nice busy morning this morning. Australia, of course, winning the World Cup by six wickets. A monumental display against India in India. And that's win number six an incredible performance by Pat Cummins' men. 24 minutes after 10 o'clock for my Sydney listeners, 24 after 9 in Queensland. Don't forget Flight Centre's Big Red Sailors on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. You can book now to save big. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Happy to take your calls, but I thought now's a good opportunity to have a listen to our winning and losing captains from last night. So let's start with Paddy Cummins. Selectors that backed him in, even when he was at a broken hand, and the medical team to get him back. Um, it was a big risk that we took, and it paid off. And 
Um, yeah, you couldn't be happy for Trav. He's a legend. Uh, we love him, and uh, I mean, how fun is he to watch? This is probably the biggest crowd we've seen for an international match, and it happened to be a World Cup final, close to 125,000 people. What did it feel like? Uh, it was awesome. I must say, um, I was pretty happy they, they were silent for a lot of the bowling innings. Uh, a couple of times they got loud, and it was really loud. Uh, but fantastic. I mean, the passion in India is unrivaled around the world. And um, I think it's amazing that every single person is wearing the blue shirt. Um, so you look around and it's a pretty special moment. One that whatever the result happened, we're never going to forget a, a day like today. It's a great six months for you. World Test Championship, now the World Cup. Oh, uh, yeah, crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, this year will be a year we remember for a long, long time. It's been awesome. It's been uh, pretty much spent the whole Aussie winter away overseas playing, but we've had a lot of success. And, this pips at all. This is top of the uh, top of the mountain. <laughs> top of the pops, embracing everything that they had in front of them, including those ninety odd thousand fans there on the Indian side of things. Well, it was extraordinary to see how it all panned out. I mean, just how big it is over there, obviously, and what it means for them to get all that way and miss out again, especially going through undefeated. Um, here's Rohit Sharma after the loss. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, honestly, the result has not gone our way. Obviously, we know that uh, we were not good enough today. Um, but again, I think uh, really proud of the team, how we played uh, from game one. Uh, just wasn't our day. Uh, we tried everything we could from our side. Uh, but yeah, w w wasn't supposed to be. 20, 30 more would have been good. Uh, we, we spoke uh, around 25, 30 overs uh, when KL and Virat were batting. I thought, uh, you know, when they were batting, they were stitching a good partnership there. Uh, and then they just needed to bat as long as possible. Uh, we were looking at 270, 280 at that point, but then we kept losing wicket. Uh, we couldn't stitch a big partnership there. Uh, and that's exactly what Australia did to win the game. They stitched a big partnership after that uh, three wickets. You have 240 on the board, you want to take wickets uh, as early as possible. And we did that. Uh, but then again, uh, credit to, you know, those, uh, those two guys in the middle, Travis Head and Manas. Uh, they stitched a big partnership and uh, put us completely out of the game for us. And, uh, a credit to those two guys in the middle for uh, stitching that big partnership. Yeah, well done to everyone involved last night. I, mean, I thought it was a, a fitting spectacle to end, aside from the fact that the old trophy presentation, <laughs> that was as ordinary as it's going to get. Um, I give Pat Cummins credit for standing there and embracing the awkwardness he couldn't do anything else as the officials walked off uh and he's just left standing there just looking around look at me folks i've got a trophy there's uh, all sorts of bells and whistles going off and fireworks and no one's here very very strange uh i reckon says this texter here glenn thanks glenn i reckon there should be a huge ticket tape parade after what Australia's done, not just in the World Cup, but retaining the Ashes away in the old dart. Also on top of that, win the World Test Championship against India. We have never had a better year in cricket. Ticker tape parades. Do we want to discuss that this morning? Are they a, are they a thing anymore? Could we, could we do it now without having everyone shout from the highest level that we shouldn't be doing it for whatever reason? Do they, I mean, do they deserve one? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. We couldn't have asked any more. Ticket tape parades were good. I don't know if they're relevant anymore. I'll throw that one at you. You can answer that one for me. Just ticket tape parades full stop.
in or out? Yes or no? Uh, then we can debate whether or not they deserve one. So first of all, let's see if we want to have one in whatever city or all cities. They used to be fantastic. Now we'd probably do it on Zoom or something or other like that. Uh, wow, says Scuba Steve from Bribey Island. Wow, Formula One, Las Vegas. What an insight for those of us going to Vegas in February. Can't wait for that. Couldn't take my eyes off it all weekend. Highlight Oscar Piastri, a Formula One champion in waiting. Thank you, Steve. I like the fact that you liked it um, and that you couldn't take your eyes off it. It was, it was one heck of a spectacular show. It was an incredible circuit too. It was very, very greasy. And no matter how many times they went around there, it just didn't look as though any rubber was going down. Huge accident early on um, for Lando Norris. That was a big one. And the onboard was terrible. Shows you the impact, especially when he knew it was coming. I agree with you on Oscar Piastri, an F1 champion in waiting. He's had a very, very particular, um, excuse me, particular path through to Formula One. And that particular path has been a winning path. And that's what he's got to try and replicate now at the big end of town, find himself in the right car at the right time with the right pace. He's got all the skills, no doubt about it. And he ended up in the points last night or yesterday afternoon. Let's go to the news. Back after this with more of your texts and calls. Results from the NBL across the weekend on Saturday went to overtime between the Taipans and the Jack Jumpers. Taipans 87 going down to the Jack Jumpers 90. The Wildcats defeated the Bullets. The Breakers and Hawks played a close one as well with Illawarra winning that one 69-65. And also yesterday, Melbourne United got home on top of the Sydney Kings 105-93. to The Kings second on the ladder and about to pack up and head to Perth for a big match against the Wildcats on Friday night and tickets to the remaining nine Sydney Kings home games at Kudos Bank Arena are on sale and selling quickly. So go to sydneykings.com now to get yours. Chris Pongrass from the Kings, the CEO is on the line. G'day, Chris. G'day, mate. Thank you for having me on. No, thanks for your time this morning. How are the boys after that uh, loss yesterday at John Kane Arena? They led at half time looking good, but then Melbourne United came over on top of them, came home strong. Yeah, look, you know, it's 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 a good, you know, wake-up call and it's a good learning experience for these guys, you know. Um, up 19 throughout the third quarter, you know, I feel like we we all, everyone thought that we had that game won. I think our, that kind of pl- probably played into um, some of the mindsets in, in the back end of that game. So don't, you know, I'm going to give Melbourne enough credit that they, you know, they came in, hit big shots. Chris Goulding was fantastic. Luke Travers was great. I think he had 12 and 12. And so... You know, they're a really tough team and they're top of the table for a reason. Um, you know, but I do think that, that we let that one slip through our fingers. I think that was our game. Um, you know, even though we're undermanned with a couple of guys missing, it's, it's something that we should definitely take advantage of. So I guess the debrief will focus on, on what went wrong there, but the debrief, I, I'd imagine, would also focus on the season so far, Chris, and, and where you're at. Seven and four after the round just gone, so still sitting second on the ladder. Is is there talk around the positivity about that? Of course. You know, we, we, we try to look at the, the end goal, right? And, and you know, we feel that, that making the top two, I think, is really important, especially based on how the playing games are set up. You know, that's our focus right now, is, is to continue to build and, and string games together where... You know, I do think, honestly, we could have easily been or should be 9-2 and two right now instead of 7-4. and four. 
But at the same time, sitting second on the ladder, we know that there are teams, you know, right underneath us from three through to six, seven that are really chasing um, that playing spot. So while we're sitting in second, that we, we don't want to take our foot off the gas and, you know, a lot of work to do coming out of this break. But this fever break is also a great time for the guys to, to have a small breather, to take a break and then really get back into to training in the back end of the week. And you talk about, mate, those teams that are below you, and, and one of those is one of those that you're going to come up against, um, the Perth Wildcats. So they're sitting there in fourth. I'd love to know the build-up to when you're taking on the Wildcats and, and the the time, I mean, it's it's down the road now, but, but the time that you're building up to travel to Perth and, and hit the Wildcats because there's so much history there, Chris, isn't it? Does it start to permeate through the building and the training court? Right, at Perth and X, Perth and X. Let's build up to this one. You'd think so. I think the rivalry is <laughs> a great, great thing, particularly for the fan bases and the public and whatnot. But I think for us, it's just another game. Now, Perth have its storied history, the success that that club's had. But, you know, I, I do feel that, you know, it's always a tough con- uh, contest between Perth and us. And we got the better of them when they were in our building. I'm sure that them, on a five-game win streak, they know the importance of stringing wins together too. Whenever we're in town, their crowd likes to get up and rowdy. But, you know, I feel like it's just another game for us. We know, you know, we want to start focusing on what we're doing and not what the other team's doing. I think that's the trap we probably fell into yesterday where we went away from what was working for us in the first half. We are playing great defence. Uh, you know, we're sharing the ball and we focus too much on United and trying to keep that lead in the second half. So I think for us coming to Perth, it's just focusing on what we need to do. And, you know, if we feel that we're the better team, which we do, is is we've got to come in there and, and take care of business. Hmm. What about the bigger picture, Chris? Can I ask you about what's going on uh, off the court as well? The NBA scouts are in town. How do you deal with it from... Your position, I, and we've had this chat before, mate, where you want to see your players in the spotlight, but they're your players and you want to keep your players as well. So how do you juggle that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird juggle, but honestly, you know, it's, as, I, as I keep saying to you, we've got a, a, the players' best interest at heart. And ultimately, that's a huge recruiting tool for us in terms of guys that are making that jump. So, you know, where we rode the wave of, Xavier Cook's success. And if Alex Tui and Jalen Galloway are the next two to make that jump, then, you know, again, I think we ride the wave of people saying and players coming in saying, okay, this is a place I want to go learn, develop, and make that springboard over to the NBA. Now, um, you know, Alex is an interesting one where it could be a one year, it could be a two year. He's still got to make the decision in terms of which draft class he wants to nominate for. And I think over the next couple of months, that's just something that he doesn't need to rush. And, and honestly, we're supportive of him either way. Um, you know, it's a really big decision and, and can impact, you know, the next stage of his career. But he's an NBA talent, um, hands down. I think he's shown that to people just in his his basketball IQ and his efficiency. Um, some of the things that might not show up on the stat sheet, um, you know, is, is really important. That it, I know some of these scouts coming in, you know, they ask about his history and his background and his off-court habits, and and they're all elite. And so it's it's a, it's a much easier conversation with these guys than than you would think. But of course, you you want to focus on the now. And the good thing is, is these guys are invested in winning. So he cares about being selfless and and putting the team first. So you know, when you're looking at him wanting to make that jump, the fact that he's 
um, you know, focus so heavily on the team success. That's at least a positive for us, knowing that, you know, this season we're just focused on this and then whatever happens, happens at the end of the year. He's an impressive young man, isn't he? I had him on my program a couple of weeks ago and very, very impressive and, and humble as well. And also, you know, knows that there's a little bit of time, but also knows that the part that I found really impressive, Chris, that he also knows that sometimes you've got to move when it's right, as in when it's the right time. Um, so he, he's certainly got a good head on him, which is fantastic. Just one more thing, 35 days until Christmas which will make us all run out and, and, and rattle, you know, <laughs> rattle the can a little bit. But for you guys, that means the, the Christmas day comes up, uh, the match comes up again. So lessons learned from last year around and any points of difference this time around? Honestly, it's, it's a later start this year, which I think will be a positive. But last year was a great time as well. Like I think late afternoon, people finishing their lunch, their Christmas lunch, there's nothing to do. There's nothing on TV. So, you know, I think the later start actually is going to help us this year. So 7.30 tip. Um, and we're just, you know, we're, we're putting our arms around those that, you know, want to do something enjoyable with the family on Christmas, that might not have family on Christmas, that love sport um, and want to come out and experience something new and groundbreaking in Australian sport. So, you know, not too much we're doing differently other than we're going to chase, try and look to chase down another win against the... Uh, the Illawarra Hawks, who have, you know, made a coaching change and are looking to bounce back. But, you know, for us, it's it's just putting our arms around our members and our community and wanting to do something fun on uh, a special day for a lot of people. Great to get some time with you this morning, mate. Really appreciate it. Uh, tickets are on sale, of course, for all of the home games, sydneykings.com. Just go there now to get yours. Chris, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you so much for having me on. The CEO of the Sydney Kings, Chris Pongrass, joining us there. I'll give you an NBA update while we're talking basketball with the games that are currently underway. Where have they gone? Here we go. So we've got um, Raptors have wrapped it up against the Pistons, 142-113. to So that one's final. Paces and Magic. Magic lead that one by 30 points at the moment into the third quarter, 86-56. The Cavaliers and Nuggets, the Cavs have a seven-point lead in the second quarter with a couple of games still to come today. 0457 736 736. Got plenty of your thoughts around a ticker tape? Yes or no? Um, just let me know. Let me know your thoughts about that, then we'll determine whether or not we should have one. Back after this. Tony on the text line says, we need not just a ticker tape parade, but also a public holiday. <laughs> hope this cricket team gets the same adulation that Matilda's got. Winning a World Cup of the second biggest sport in the world is surely better than a fourth place, says Tony. Um, look, we can play the us and them game or soccer, cricket game, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you raise some fair points there, Tony. But public holidays and all that, to me, are just politicians getting their heads on the news. Doesn't really matter, does it? Um, as long as we celebrate the performances of, of our teams and... You're right, they've absolutely smashed it here at the biggest stage. Seeing our Aussies throwing themselves around in the field reminded me of our great fielding sides in the 90s and 2000s. Um, the whole team went with them, and what a big game player Travis Head is, always playing his natural game no matter the situation. Yeah, and from what I've read too, a lot of that can go back towards Pat Cummins with Travis Head, fostering the natural game. Let it go. Um and let's not forget they 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 gambled essentially to say let's just leave 
Pat uh, Travis Head at home in Adelaide. Let's let him recuperate, and when he's ready, he comes back and he goes straight in. And let's hope that we're still punching when that happens. Now, there's a lot of hope, but there's also a lot of, I guess, medical, you know, expertise behind that as well. But at the end of the day, it was still a big call because once you take him out of the system, he can't come back in. Once you replace him, he can't come back in, and they played that well. And and the role of Manus Labuschagne, to me, is extraordinary. He wasn't part of the greatest squad initially. They weren't going to take him. Earlier, a couple of months ago, before they went over, we, and I've referenced this a couple of times, they did um, Cricket Australia do a media day where they get all the players over the course of two days and they do a whole stack of media. And I, um, for SEN, had a chat with Pat Cummins, Marnus Labuschagne, Michael Nesser, and um, who else was in there? Oh, Uzi was in there as well. And this was very, very much more about the Ashes than it was about the World Cup because we will be playing it later on. So we couldn't really talk about something that was going to happen and we were playing it afterwards. But Marnus had no inclination that he was going to be part of that squad then. He thought he was out of it by then. And here he is last night and throughout the tournament playing a very big role. Was it 58 last night that he ended up putting on? 58 not out? And just making sure that he's there while Travis Head is going nuts. 192 was the partnership. And it was 58 not out of 110 balls. So there are storylines throughout all of this. Glenn Maxwell with the fastest 100, then the double 100, then the falling off the back of the cart, then out for concussion. (laughs) I mean, try and pencil that into your how things are going to play out diary. <laughs> if you're trying to, you know, if you're the, the, the manager or the coach here and you're saying, okay, this is how we want the World Cup to be. We want to start, we're like this, we want to make sure that we've got everyone nice and fit and everyone's going to be there and nobody falls off a golf cart. What? You know, none of it makes sense. But that's the whole point about tournament play. You've got to be prepared for everything that comes your way at the tournament. And that's that's one of the most impressive parts of why this has happened uh, and the way that it's happened for Australia. Kane says, Matty, I'm not sure if a ticker tape's needed, but maybe the Premier of Queensland will build him a statue that Matilda's got one. Yeah, again, that goes back to the us and them. Three reasons why we can't do a ticker tape parade. One, no ticker tape. <laughs> Stock market prices are now provided in real time electronically. Two, no people in the office building since COVID. Fair enough. And three, the windows in the buildings don't open anymore. Three very compelling reasons. Yep, yep. I mean, the ticker tape, the old stock market ticker tape, sure, they could find it. I I was looking for more around the, I don't know, the you know, the environmental reasons and all that kind of stuff and uh, occupational health and safety and do we all have to wear high-vis vests and put out cones and all that kind of stuff before we actually open a window in the building. Um, Matty, I can't figure Max Verstappen out. He bagged out the Vegas track, says Western Sydney Eagles, said the people are attending are more interested in partying than F1 and just had a general poor attitude towards the whole event. Then he comes out with an Elvis-themed race suit, sings Viva Las Vegas, and he wins the race. He did what he does, which is win races. Yeah. Look, I, I, 
would have thought that he could have handled that better for sure. And I've received texts this morning. Oh, you bag out Max Verstappen and he's going to be the GOAT. And look at that. He just keeps on. Of course, he's going to keep on winning. Absolutely. That's what he does. That's never been in question. The attitude around the whole Formula One stuff in Vegas to me was pretty poor. He can do what he wants. He can say what he wants. He doesn't have to go out and sell tickets for him. It's going to help his job if the race is there. But he's not a fan of it. But he does what Max Verstappen does. Where does that lead further down the track? Well, he'll keep on winning as long as he's in a fast car at the right team. And that's how Formula One plays out. He's a three-time world champ now. There's definitely been a bit of a change in Max Verstappen. I I don't think that there's any question about that. He knows his place in the sport, and he's not afraid to say it. And good on him for saying that. That's what he wants. I I would have thought that there would have been a little bit better of an attitude going into that. But if he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it. He likes it now because he's won the race. And I'll tell you what, he did it in style as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is the open line number. Come and join us right here on The Morning Show. We'll be talking tennis next hour with Brett Phillips, host of the first serve right here on SCN. Novak Djokovic has done it again and put the icing on a pretty extraordinary 2023, even for his standards. He'll finish the year as number one. He's won a record-breaking seventh ATP Finals title. So it was a straight sets win over Yannick Sinner, who was the hometown favourite over there in Turin, the first Italian to make the season-ending final. He took an hour and 43 to win it in two sets, 6-3, 6-3, and he was full of praise for Sinner along the way. But... Novak Djokovic now goes to another record. Him and Federer had six titles at the season-ending tournament um, for the year's top eight players, but now Novak is the standout with seven. A public barbecue's in order, Matty. Get our champion men's and women's teams together. We'll celebrate at the MCG, SCG, do a tour of the trophies and celebrate two great teams and some once-in-a-generation players. Not a bad shout. Maybe we get that... What else could we do? We're not going to do a ticket tape parade. What else could we give them? Let's take public holidays off it. We can't afford them, folks. Back after the news. Tennis coming up this hour with Brett Phillips. We'll also cover NBA and NFL and everything that's been going on stateside this morning. And in just a minute, I'll play you some uh, some of the audio of the fallout from Formula One on the streets of Las Vegas, in particular the performance of the Australians. I just want to read this to you, a joint statement from the member unions of rugby union in this country on the exit of Hamish McLennan. Um, Mr McLennan has always acted in what he genuinely believed was in the best interests of our game, and his resignation today is a demonstration of this. It's an honourable decision that recognises his continued service had become a distraction to the game. Mr McLennan cannot be faulted for his energy or devotion to rugby, nor his tireless efforts for the game. In particular, his efforts during COVID helped secure the game's future during its darkest hour. The member unions remain committed to working with Rugby Australia's new chair, Dan Herbert, CEO Phil War on their plans for high-performance centralisation. So that was the official statement from the member unions, the same ones that were calling for Hamish McLennan's head on Friday. And then it came to a head quite literally last night. So they're happy with his commitment to the game and all that kind of stuff, but 
it's become a distraction to the game and they're going to move on. So perhaps some clear air might um, provide some thinking music for the uh, member unions to see what happens next. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. Half time between the Nuggets and Cavaliers, and the Nuggets have a 58 to 66 lead. End of the third quarter between Pacers and Magic, and the Magic lead that one 107 to 78. In NFL, let's see what's going on there at the moment. Bills v Jets. Uh, 29 points to 6, the Bills lead that one. Rams and Seahawks. Seahawks lead 16 points to 14. With one more match today to start uh, in an hour and 20 minutes. Broncos and Vikings. So we'll keep you across all of that. G'day, Shagger. I think Hamish was gone when he claimed that a supporter made him drink a glass of milk. That was very strange, says the reptile. That was uh, throughout the World Cup, wasn't it? The ill-fated World Cup. Can you imagine how different things would have been if Australia had have got through that initial stage of the World Cup? Just didn't... Um, you just never know what might have been. Matt, Andrew McDonald is exactly what an Australian cricket coach should be. In the background, no rah-rah rubbish like a certain former coach. Most don't even know he's there and all credit to him. Well, he's a different personality too, Andrew McDonald. He's quite a, a quiet voice and personality. Very, very different. And obviously the, the one that um, the Australian cricket team at that time were hoping for and they got. And take a look at what's transpired. Thank you for that one. Matty, I think the only thing Australia really lost was the spirit of cricket, according to Piers. <laughs> Has anyone checked on Piers this morning, says the Pearl? Uh, no. No. Who cares? It's probably the only way to put that. Can't keep the name Cummins out of cup wins. <laughs> As in, but, aha, uh-huh, says that one from Lee. Yeah, that's not bad. Do you count the urn as a cup? I mean, an urn's an urn. It's still small. I mean, essentially, it's kind of a cup. You don't want to drink out of it. Um, but, yep, Cummins and Cummings, very, very... Um, prolific winners at the moment. Crime Seas says it seems like Verstappen is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he's finding his voice outside of the cockpit. There's no doubt about that. Inside of the cockpit, he's unmatched at the moment. Let's have a listen to how it played out for the Australians in terms of um, that Formula One race in Vegas. Here's Daniel Ricciardo, finished 14th. A, a bit of a difficult weekend for Dan. Yeah, a bit of a painful weekend. I think it's certainly surface-specific, but we can't neglect it. And, we, you know, like, we have to obviously move on for Abu Dhabi, but, of course, we need to do some re- post-race research and analysis. And, uh, yeah, we didn't seem to have really any answers for it. So, uh, yeah, some work to do when we come here next time. Some work to do there. So the, the temperatures were really interesting over there. Very, very cool um, and trying to get temperatures into your tyres is a nightmare if it's not going to work for you. So a few little things to take away for Daniel Ricciardo. Meanwhile, Oscar Piastri continues to turn heads. He was right in the thick of it, taking some deep, deep dives and some very late moves. He's still a kid, um, but a kid with a very big future. Tenth for Oscar Piastri, including a point for fastest lap as well. This was was very good. Um, 
nice to get a, a bonus point for fastest lap as well. So, um, yeah, not the easiest of days for a lot of people, I think, um, you know, pretty jumbled race. But um, I think with everything that happened, I think, uh, you know, that was more or less the best we could have done. Um, so, yeah, happy with the pace and um, just a shame that we, we started so far back and uh, a couple of things didn't go, quite go away. Yeah, which is a pretty honest and straightforward take, I reckon. So a jumbled race for those that, that weren't, well, even for those that were at the front, it was a bit of a jumbled up, mixed up race and some very, very good passing manoeuvres. Did you catch this, though? Crofty's call of as they came across the finish line. Now, some commentators like to have premeditated words. Some don't. Some let it come to them. Some don't. Some write them down. Um, some just think that they're going to be good. And, and here's David Croft calling the finish. He had this one penciled in, and I did exactly the same as what I ended up seeing on a couple of things afterwards on, on social and people that I that I know and follow within the sport and work with. And like, did he just really say this? Have a listen to Crofty's race call at the finish here. Leclerc's going to take second place, but here in Vegas, what Verstappen's in Vegas stays in Vegas. Max Verstappen wins the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc just holds off Sergio Perez. What Verstappen's in Vegas stays in Vegas. Now, he almost got himself tripped up because it was all going on at the back end of that last lap. And <laughs> he, he needed some clearer air than that one, but he rolled it out. Did you like it? I mean, it was clever. Did you like it? You can let me know that. Uh, added some more showbiz kind of style towards that race at the back end. Right, let's talk tennis with Brett Phillips, host of the first serve tonight across the SEN network. Good morning, BP. So Yannick Sinner, he, he, he gets there and guess who's there? Novak Djokovic doing what Novak does, collecting titles and breaking records again. Yeah, I feel like we've been there, Matty. We've seen this script before. We uh, we tend to talk about uh, Novak in the same tune more often than not. I mean, he's come off an incredible year and, you know, he gets through the round-robin phase of the ATP finals over the last week, so the best eight singles players in town. And then... Uh, he gets to work against Carlos Alcaraz in the semi, 6-3, 6-2, then beats Yannick Sinner, 6-3, 6-3. And Sinner had a terrific round-robin phase, had a great semi-final win against Daniil Medvedev. He had uh, that whole stadium, ole, 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 Sinner, Sinner, in his corner. It was raucous in there, Matty, for the entire week. And then Novak silenced the Italians. He's just <laughs> incredible. What, 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 what is there left to say about what this man is doing at the ripe old age of 36? Mm, yeah, not much except that records, really. I mean, that's kind of what it, what it is at the moment, isn't it, for Novak? But what about Yannick Sinner? You've spoken about him often. You, you had this read on Carlos Alcaraz before many people did because you watch it week in, week out. Yannick Sinner's only 22 years of age, so he gives 14 years away to Novak Djokovic. That's a that's a heck of a long time travelling the world getting experience. So where to next, and how far do you reckon for Sinner in yep. the years to come? So this is what's interesting that comes out of this year. Now, he has grown as a tennis player to be the fourth best tennis player in the world. He's grown as a human being. There's an air of confidence that chest just puffing out a little bit. I belong now... 
up in this uh, top echelon. He's developed his game enormously. The Darren Cale effect we talk about. So what I think is going to be interesting now is Sinan and Elkaraz jockeying for the top young gun in the sport behind Djokovic. Elkaraz, I think, has uh, just come back a notch and he's probably got to think about a few things going forward. I mean, he's right up there. He's the second best player in the world. He's He's already landed a blow winning a major, but I think there's some work to do in shot selection and everything else. Sinner, you know, whether he can overtake Elkaraz, there are signs that maybe he could become the top uh, young gun because Elkaraz has got all the fame and, uh, you know, has, I think, got, got some thinking to do about his game. And just watching him over the last week, just some of the shot selection at times and decision making and you know, Sinner's got the long levers. He's really grown into his body's game. He's, you know, in the forward part of the court, he looks as comfortable as I've ever seen him. I mean, we've got, you know, we're really blessed, you know, with uh, Sinner and Alcaraz and Holgerinner and Ben Shelton. I mean, these are the big four who are playing pretty dynamic tennis who are going to be around for some time. They're no flash in the pan. But the order of superiority is going to be really interesting as they you know, have long careers ahead of them. But right now, Djokovic is the supreme leader. And, yeah, look, Sinner, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, he, he could get to top billing in the sport at some point, And that's, you know, world number one. Yeah. And meanwhile, Novak racks up, uh, racks up uh, 400 weeks there in the number one ranking. So the first player to hold that ranking for 400, which is just... Oh, mind-blowing. I mean, I don't know where it ends. Australia Davis Cup action, so that'll be cool. That's uh, later this mm. week. Yeah, around about 2 a.m. Thursday, so Channel 9 will be showing that. Uh, we're going to play the Czech Republic, so it's a knockout uh, quarterfinal to get us through the semis. Obviously, we were runner-up last year. The team is in town. They're in Malaga in, in the south of Spain, where the Davis Cup was last year. And we know Australia's going to give it absolutely everything. This has been a pretty settled sort of squad under Leighton Hewitt. I mean, you know, Leighton's not one to, you know, ring a lot of changes. If you play some good tennis, you know, he likes to reward you with a bit of faith to keep you in there. And, yeah, I mean, Alex Demonor will lead the charge. You know, where do they go second singles-wise? You know, obviously Purcell's had a, you know, really terrific year, the versatility to play. Uh, singles and doubles, you know, Matt Ebden coming off semi-finals, ATP World Tour finals, had a great year in doubles. So it's a good team. You know, guys can play singles and doubles, and we love playing Davis Cup, even if you know, the stadium's not totally full, Matty. We'll see how the crowd's rocking this week. But, yeah, let's try and get past the Czech Republic first, which I think we can uh, early Thursday. All right. Good on you, mate. You'll have everything covered, of course. Uh, the Australian Summer to look forward to as well. John Millman is going to open his Australian Summer, his last Australian Summer in Perth in the United Cup. So plenty for you to cover, mm. mate, as always in the world of tennis. Thanks, Brett. I appreciate it. Nine o'clock uh, tonight too, Matty. AFL draft on before us. So a little later, but uh, we'll, we'll swing into action from nine o'clock uh, tonight. Good man. 9 p.m. is the first serve tonight across the SEN network. Thanks for that, Brett Phillips. We'll chat again next week. This extraordinary run of Novak Djokovic is just amazing. I mean, I saw that stat jump out this morning. So following the tournament that he's just won, he'll become the first player ever to hold the number one ranking for 400 weeks. Roger Federer at 310 was the only other man to eclipse the 300-week mark. It's also the second time in the last 15 years that a player has made the finals of all four major tournaments and the ATP finals. And the last bloke who did that, Novak Djokovic in 2015.
Just an extraordinary, extraordinary tennis player. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number or the text line number on 0457-736-736. John says, with Oscar Piastri, I can't help comparing his performance on and off the track with that of Daniel Ricciardo. And to me, he seems to be very user-friendly from the point of his uh, point of view from his team. And he also doesn't seem very accident or incident prone. Well, yeah, and your take on that, John, is ticking all the boxes, isn't it? User-friendly with your team, um, doesn't be, isn't very accident or incident prone, as in he's not a magnet for trouble, which is good. Tick, 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 tick. Fast. That's where you got to be. you got to be fast and you've got to have longevity in that sport if you want to be great. And one of the key things that we'll look back on Formula One career for Oscar Piastri, depending on where it goes will be the influence of Mark Webber. I, I was listening to Oscar's um, press after the race in Las Vegas, and, and the more he speaks, the more we start to hear the influence of, of Mark, who's been in his corner. And one of the things to remember about Mark Webber is what he went through in his career. He had, he had tough times. He had good times. He was at the great teams. He was alongside the fastest in the business. He worked his absolute, you know, what off to make sure that the team got what they needed. In fact, there's the great story when he was at Red Bull. I think he he went back, he worked. I mean, the guy weighs nothing. (laughs) He worked to remove about a kilogram more uh, body weight from his system in the off-season. And when he went back, he just instantly made friends with the engineer because it makes the car lighter. doesn't seem like much but he just went that extra yard. So his toughness and his resilience in the industry will be shining through with Oscar. And let's not forget where he's placed him too. He helped him get that gig at the expense of Dan Ricciardo, but he helped him get that gig and it's paid out. So that's one of the reasons Oscar's a genuine racer, folks. Make no mistake about it and he'll be a success. But everything you've just pointed out, John, is absolutely spot on. And you need to tick those boxes. It's 20 past. Let's go for a break. Uh, Keep your thoughts coming on the text line 0457 736 736. Welcome back. Uh, This texter says, I'm left more knowledgeable about tennis whenever I hear Brett Phillips speak. We're lucky to have him as part of SEN. You're bang on about that crime scene. There was also a question here from Dan, which only just came through after we let BP go, which was, can you ask him which tennis player has spent the most weeks at number two? Ha which got us thinking. Um, from what I can find, Dan, Rafa spent the most weeks at number two, 387 weeks at number two. Roger Federer spent 218, and Novak spent 160 weeks at uh, number two there. I was having a look to see which Australian has featured in that list. In fact, there's one Aussie inside the top 20 for weeks at number two. And you've got to go back a while. John Newcomb comes in at number 13 for 74 weeks at number two. Um, but thank you for that. There you go. Answered your question there. Now we're going to have to look at um, the top 10 list at number one. Chris Everts, the record holder in the women's, in front of Martina Navratilova at number two. But Maestro, I don't know the number. What's the number after all of that one? Aha, uh-huh, you'll get back to me on that. Matt says, Matty, the F1 has become such a ball fest that my highlight was Shaq absolutely brushing Martin Brundle. Absolute gold. 
I didn't watch that part, Matt. Um, just like, you know, Max doesn't have any time for the show around Vegas. I don't have much time for Martin having, having to walk up and down pit lane doing all that kind of stuff. A heck of a commentator, but I can do without all that. I'll wait till the race start. So, Chris Evert, 325 weeks at number two. Martina, 280. One of the great rivalries in sports, which ended up one of the great friendships in sport. And Steffi Graf, one of my favourites in sport, at 164 weeks at number two. Um, you're welcome, Dan. No problems. That's that's why we're here. Matty, I believe if you put Oscar in the Red Bull, he'd be pushing Max all the way. Honestly, believe that Oscar is a potential world champion. He'll win a race before Lando Norris does. Cheers. If you put Oscar in a Red Bull, he will certainly be pushing Max all the way. If you put Oscar in Max's Red Bull, then watch him go. <laughs> um, they'll tell you that it's all equal, but it kind of isn't. In my opinion, there's only one way to stop Verstappen's dominance. Get Greg to tip him. <laughs> that bloke could fair him stop a steam train. Well, Matt, you've joined in the list a little bit late there because we've it's a Greg-free zone. Remember, he had his shot with the Snake Gully Cup, and it finished fourth. So, sorry, mate. Got to go. Don't have any more room for the tipster. I, I'm, I'm here for another couple of weeks. So, if we can come up with something else um, to tip or somebody else wants to have a crack at it, got to put your head on the chopping block. The Verstappen, what, what Verstappen is in Vegas, stays in Vegas line is a nice turn of phrase. Uh, says one of our texters here. I like it. Yep, fair enough. Matty, I'm still pinching myself. I'm the first to admit I thought that the great Indian bowling attack had this tournament won weeks ago. And when we won the toss and fielded first, I thought we'd just lost the final. But what a genius of a decision that turned out to be. Yeah, and they would have batted anyway. So that's what they were saying. George says, re the Vegas GP. What a great race to stick it to the haters. Haters going to hate. Unlucky for Oscar, the second safety car came at the worst time and Lewis ran out of talent overtaking him. Oscar is the real deal, mate. He sure is. Matty, do you think that Joe Root still prefers 11 duds over 11 world champions? Probably not. I did see uh, Stuart Broad on social media in the last 12 hours or so jump on social media and congratulate Australia on the performance that they've had there. So... All is fair in love and war. In regards to the Oz Cricket Barbecue Tour, they could also give a percentage of the days to uh, take to Movember's Men's Health and to the Jane McGrath Foundation. Could be a good thing all round. That's not bad. Get them all here. Let's have a massive barbie. Um, bring all the trophies and celebrate. Why not? Darren says, I say, yep, give them a ticker tape parade. The team should be celebrated. Just that simple. And another one says, after all the time away and the amount of cricket that they've played, I doubt the players would want a parade. <laughs> Just another hotel room, wouldn't it? Let's go to the news. Uh, keep those thoughts coming. Always time for your calls and texts. Thank you for that, Vanessa. Uh, your thoughts on 0457 736 736. Did you miss this earlier? I want your thoughts on this one. Our final half hour of the program this morning in rugby league, um, Mike Maguire's future as New Zealand coach. Now, there's a lot of sort of 
back and forth going on about this with the New South Wales job and, of course, the Canberra job in between all that seems to be the one that's going to has gone. But I'm, I'm interested in this sort of push-me-pull-you approach. Didn't want to rubber stamp anything. This is the New South Wales side. Didn't want to rubber stamp anything for State of Origin because the Kiwis job was still there. Then has the incredible success for the Kiwis. Now still don't want to rubber stamp anything because the New South Wales job's there. So so nothing's happening at the moment. I'm sure it's happening behind the scenes. But nothing's happening at the moment. And then you read and hear about the Kiwis having a good think about whether or not Michael Maguire can do now the New South Wales job and the New Zealand job. Now, one thing that didn't come into play when I was considering this earlier when it first started to pop up because I was thinking, and, and, and for those that work with and know Michael Maguire, will tell you that he could be very, very capable of handling both jobs, if not all three jobs that he had or may have. Um with his work ethic and everything else. But, of course, there is that position there about being in charge of a state of origin team and the obvious trans, you know, the obvious progression there is into the Australian jumper. And what does that mean, then, if you're also in charge of the New Zealand team? David Riccio had this to say this morning on the breakfast program. So if you missed it, have a listen to Dave this morning and the reasons behind probably the hold-up here about where Michael Maguire is going to end up both domestically and internationally. The Kiwi old boys are of the highest of influence on the New Zealand Rugby League board. They take, they seek counsel on many occasions. There are sections of those old boys that believe that Michael Maguire cannot do both jobs, and that is to coach New South Wales and also New Zealand. They believe the New South Wales origin coaching job is a conduit to the Australian uh, team. Largely, a lot of Australian uh, players played for New South Wales and then therefore Madge would, would be ultimately helping develop potential Australian players when he is the New Zealand coach. Which is a very good point. A very good point. And a point that I certainly just didn't didn't think about in all of this mix. I was kind of like, well, look, if he's going to be New South Wales coach, let's just do it. I think they've I think they've all shown enough respect there, back and forth. So let's consider that a lock. Now, what do New Zealand do? Do they worry about having a coach that has connections through the Australian system via New South Wales, or do they worry about their own coach? trying to find somebody, and Stacey Jones' name will keep on coming up, and do they listen to the old boys in the mix of all of this, or do they just bite the bullet and stick with who they've got? A man who has found the knack of getting getting everything together and putting together the kind of performance they did against the Kangaroos. I don't know which takes priority here if you're sitting down. As I said earlier, and if you weren't with us earlier, I said, look, the, the part that worries, worries me about that is the old boys. Oh, we don't know. We, we just need somebody, you know, from our backyard to do it. Maybe so. But previous results would say to me that Michael Maguire certainly knows what he's doing. A really interesting one, that one. Very, very interesting scenario. Give me your thoughts on that. Now that you are 
through Dave Riccio there. Now that there's, there's some thoughts or some concerns around that New South Wales connection into the Australian connection into the what does that mean for New Zealand? Does that sort of change the way of thinking? Or should it not matter? And are the two very separate? Hmm. It's a good one to ponder. A really good one to ponder. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Uh, Bob says we we actually had a bit of a confession session earlier this morning, and he says in regards to the cricket, I did expect that the result could go either way. With every win, you're one game closer to a loss. What was predictable is that Travis Head would remain humble, focused, and perform on the biggest stage, whilst Warner would likely get out slashing at a wide ball early in his dig. Uh, to see Warner claim more than his share of the kudos for the team's performance via social media and throw shade at Aussie supporters back home was also entirely predictable. Goodbye, David. Enjoy your retirement tour. Because Shula Bob is not a fan of 1D Warner. I would argue the point, Casula Bob, that we might not have been in that position if D Warner wasn't in the side <laughs> throughout the entirety of the tournament. I'm putting my head on the chopping block, says Simon, and taking some pressure off Greg. I'm tipping the West Tigers to finish eighth in 2024 and the Storm to win the Premiership. That's an early one. That's a that's a really early shout. Matty, last night was unreal, but was it our best World Cup win? For me, I can't go past AB's 1987 win. At that time, we were literally on our knees as a cricket nation. Yep. Good shout, that one too. Not a bad shout. India's record in the big games, however, has got to be concerning. There's got to be some real soul-searching here to say, okay, what have we done here? So they haven't won the World Cup since 2011. Never beaten Australia in a World Cup final. That was the second time that we did it. They won the Champions Trophy in 2013. And they've been runners-up, just runners-up, Throughout some of these other ones, they haven't made it past semi-final stage, but runners-up since then in the T20 World Cup in 2014, in the Champions Trophy in 2017, in the World Test Championship in 2021, the World Test Championship again this season, and the ODI World Cup overnight. So runners-up in those big-time tournaments, which is got to be heartbreaking for them but you've got to ask the question why not all of those are played in India in front of Indian crowds with the kind of pressure that they've had they just haven't been able to deliver in those moments Australia has a knack of delivering in the big games not always but certainly not missing out as much as India have been missing out along the way so there's something missing or something not right in the middle of that or something that perhaps needs changing and of course when you think about the shortest formats of the game with the Indian Premier League and everything heading towards India that they were meant to be just rolling them off a production line right now off you go just keep the winds coming this is our backyard this is our game this is how it's all played out and I wondered whether they'd played their grand final before going into this one. You saw how much it meant to Virat Kohli getting his 50th century in front of Sachin Tendulkar, you know, in his home, like it was never going to happen again. And I wondered there, Kohli's a different case, obviously. You're never going to back against him. 
But there were things there where I went, maybe they've just played that grand final. Maybe they didn't have that little glitch along the way. They didn't have to their backs against the wall along the way. Uh, a texter says, Maguire can't do the blues. At some stage, Mal will be ringing him for input um, into the players for Australian selection, and he's the New Zealand coach, which is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, honestly, I just not something that I just put down on the paper when I was going through all of that. It just passed me by. With the Kiwi coaching job, my view is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, says our listener there, which is not bad. If Chris Everett had the longest stay at number one, does that mean there were no world rankings in Margaret Court's day, says John? Well, no, it was um, Chris Everett at number two. So that was that was the question. So it was how many weeks at number two? Um, I don't think we should be so quick to punt Greg, says Spud. Surely there's an opening for Greg's lay of the day segment. Oh, no, we've, we've decided. I mean, the, the rules are in, and the rules are... No more tipping from Greg, from Gundy. He had a crack, and that's it. Um, WTA rankings did not exist for the majority of Margaret Court's career, so you're right on that one. Different eras, hey? Um, Let's take a break. It's 18 minutes to the hour. Wow, it's been busy this morning. Very, very busy. NBA update for you, thanks to NBA 2K24. Nuggets and Cavaliers uh, on court. So Cavaliers 87-75 leading that. Mavericks and Kings have just started. Um, 7-6 in favour of the Kings. And we've got Jazz v Suns. Grizzlies and Celtics all starting in about 15 minutes' time. And then we've got Trailblazers and Thunder so all that's still to come this afternoon. NFL, well, we're doing the American sweep here. Bills are very comfortable against the Jets, 32 points to six with a couple of minutes left. And then Broncos against the Vikings starting in 40 minutes' time. Um, as Lockie McCurdy has pointed out further to our chat about um, Andrew McDonald, I stay across Lachlan McCurdy's Twitter feed or X feed, um, he's always got some very good points. Since taking over as head coach, Andrew McDonald has won the ICC Test Championship, won the ICC World Cup, retained the Ashes in England, won a Test Series in Pakistan, hasn't lost a Test at home. Not a bad resume at all for Andrew McDonald. What a win, says Des, from Maxwell's determination to cement position three in the semis. Had Afghanistan won that, could have been very different. That lifted the side. What a knock. Yeah, still had to beat South Africa and then India. Outstanding team effort. Everyone chipped in at different times. They silenced the crowd. We could have been 5 for 35. The ball was hooping. We stayed strong. Manus's technique with heads flamboyance, a partnership. Not dissimilar to Maxwell and Cummins' determination, a partnership. True. Yeah. Glenn Maxwell probably couldn't have done what he did without Paddy Cummins at the other end in that partnership that you're talking about there. And let's not forget it was uh, Cummins and Stark who were there at the back end in the last match as well. So good. What a win. Well said. Matt, re-cricket and India's record. I feel they're not tough. They're gods in their homeland and probably believe their own hype. On Australia, their best wins, 87 on the subcontinent, 99 semi under the pump. 
enter SK Warn and 2023 when no one gave them a chance. Their resilience and toughness made them world champions. It's an interesting one when no one gave them a chance. I think that there's... And even Pat Cummins had referenced the slow start to the tournament and also changing some of the mindset with the batting. So there was recognition from within that the start of the tournament wasn't the way that they wanted and that they weren't playing the way that they wanted. So I think it was right to for everyone to question or take a look at their first two performances. I don't know how many people actually wrote them off and said, oh, they got no chance. I mean, along the way, there were times... There was times last night where I thought, ah, oh, India are going to blast us out of this one. Absolutely take us out. So we get that along the way. The Daily Telly this morning has done a... Uh, and it's online too, where you can rate your players. So you they've done their expert ratings and then the average fan rating, and then you can rate as well. David Warner, an expert rating. This is just last night. Expert rating from Daniel Cherney of two. Average fan rating of four. Travis Head, expert rating 10. Average fan rating 9.5. Mitch Marsh, round the fives. Steve Smith got a 1.5 expert rating and three from the fans. Marnus. Around nine from both sides. Glenn Maxwell, six and a half to seven. Josh Inglis, seven from the expert, seven from the fan. Picked up a World Cup record five catches in India's innings. Mitchell Stark, 8.5s all round. Pat Cummins, nine and 8.5 from the fans. Adam Zampa, not as effective as he was throughout the league stage. He got six and a half or seven from the fans. And Josh Hazelwood, um, as they point out here, whacked early by Rowett, but came back well from there to pick up wickets in the Indian collapse. Had a very good World Cup and would probably appreciate a bit of a break right now, I reckon, Josh Hazelwood. All of those pacemen in particular in the heat with those wickets. Absolutely. The Indians have a couple of their best spinners, fast men and batsmen in the world, but until they can field like we did in the first hour of last night, they won't be as competitive as us, and those spinners just did not strike at the back end there. Um, Daniel from Prairie Wood, I've got your text there, but there's a little bit of text missing, so we'll try and tidy that up, but it's on the Michael Maguire coaching situation. Um, so once we tidy that up, I'll get back that to you, uh, get that back to you. The old boys will white out their own house and then fade into the background when the test results fall down around them. Says our texter there. And g'day, Maddie. Congratulations, Australia. Commiserations, India. Fell asleep when Australia were three for 65. Recorded the rest and watching this morning, but I couldn't help myself and just had to find out if we won or not. How can you do that? I mean, you, I don't know if you could sort of sit through and try and get your way, knowing now that the, the result and everything's there right at your fingertips. It used to be the way to do it. Um, but I couldn't have done it. No way in the world. Congrats, Travis Head, with two man of the matches in semifinals and finals. And very, very happy listener that we've got. No doubt about that. Our final break. We'll come back and wrap it up after this. We were doing most weeks at number two on the tennis uh, scene earlier this morning. Of course, Novak Djokovic will now make it total weeks at number one, 400 after winning the season-ending tournament. The first man to go 400. Roger Federer is next best with 310 total weeks at number one. The best Aussie, the leading Aussie in the most 
weeks at number one is Leighton Hewitt. So he comes in 10th. He spent 80 weeks at number one. And then you go down to John Newcomb, who spent eight weeks. He's 23rd on the list. And then you go down to 28th on the list where you find Pat Rafter, who spent a week as world number one. What a week it was. Uh, got a, got his name up on, I think, a big billboard in New York, all that kind of stuff. It only lasted a week. So a good trip down memory lane there. Uh, we'll have a huge show for you tomorrow. Simon Hill will talk football. Of course, the Socceroos preparing to play Palestine in Kuwait City. So that's a, a very, very different challenge for Graham Arnold's men. Scotty Bailey will join us as well. Thank you for your company today. Have a great day, everybody. Let's soak up the success overnight of our cricketers, and we'll do it all again tomorrow morning. Bye for now.